the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Just before we begin, brothers, I know I, I have to offer the Mass for my own intentions, my obedience, but uh, you'll certainly be in my memento during this Mass. If we can speak about a winter constellation of virgin martyr saints, which we do, Cecilia, Vivian, Lucy, Agnes, Agatha, we can certainly speak of a springtime constellation of Benedictine saints, I think, beginning with St. Scholastica on the 10th of February, 12 February, Benedict of Anian, 23 February, St. Peter Damien, 9 March, Francis of Rome, of course today, 12 March, St. Gregory, 21 March, the Transitus of our Holy Father Benedict, but wait, there's more, 21 April, Anselm, St. Anselm, 23 April, Adalbert of Prague, 26 April, Ascasius, and 29 April, the Holy Abbots of Cluny and Robert of Lemme. If that's not a constellation of saints, I don't know what is. So it seems, therefore, with St. Gregory, we stand actually right in the middle of this constellation of Benedictine saints. As with our Holy Father Benedict, the liturgical texts for St. Gregory tell us how aptly named he is. That very first liturgical text of the day, the, the antiphon at First Vespers last night, tells us this, how well he was named. So the ancient saying is true, nomen omen. The name is the omen. The name is what, is go what will be. The name determines what a person is. So if we listen especially to the text of the Divine Office, we will find out who St. Gregory is. Now, first of all, as you know, Gregory is a Greek word for a perfectly good Latin name, Vigilius or Vigilantius, one who watches. We all know that. I won't elaborate on that. I'll just send you back to the second nocturne of Matins, which tells us all about that, what that name means very eloquently expressed in that part of that homily from Ezekiel. Nor will I elaborate right now on the Eucharistic aspect of that name, watch. I feel particularly blessed to have that name because of our Eucharistic character, but we're all watchers. But in this name, Vigilantius, actually I began to think about today's feast, Monday morning, when we heard the invitatory Antiphon for Lent. Non sit vanum manis surgere ante lucem, quia promisit dominus corona, coronam vigilantibus, to those who watch, those who are waiting. So St. Gregory was there waiting for us, even though we didn't know it at the time. St. Gregory, the institutor of the stational liturgies, keeps daily company with our Lenten fast. He's there. He's been there all along since we began St. Gregory is the pater urbis, urbis deliciae, the father of the city beloved of the world. It was the Romans' people love for him that sent him against his will to the throne of St. Peter. So much did they care for him. Butler tells us all about it, so go to Butler. You'll see why this was the case. It's paragraphs and columns of all the things he did even before he was Holy Father for the people of Rome. But he did this with the greatest tenderness 
and solicitude. And he still continues to have this tenderness and solicitude, like a great pater familias of the church militant. Which is why he's also called the lux et decus ecclesia, the light and adornment of the church, the beautiful ornament of the church. And again, for that same reason, his tomb is etched with, I think, the mightiest of his titles, Consul Dei, the Consul of God. The consul isn't the emperor, but almost the emperor of God. St. Gregory is the Speculum Virtutum, et Speculum Monacorum, the mirror of all the virtues, the mirror of monks. And I think he gets this title, of course, especially for his Manu Moralia, the great massive commentary he did on the book of Joe, which he began as a commentary for monks. Now, the scholars tell us that his doctrine, which is expressed mostly in his homilies, his preaching, his doctrine is, is more moral rather than systematic, that, that he's a pastor rather than a theologian. But if that's true, if he was more pastor than theologian, it is because he was intent on something very theological, in fact, in the most literal sense. That is, he desires nothing less than that the divine image be reproduced or reflected in his hearers. That's why he preached. That's why any priest preaches, so that the divine image can shine in those who hear. So St. Gregory, in his day, held the mirror of grace to souls of the faithful and to the souls of monks, that Christ might shine in them. He is the mirror of monks. As Father Pyre said in chapel this morning, we wouldn't have as much knowledge of St. Benedict as we do today without him. Therefore, St. Gregory is the Dulcissimum Sancti Spiritus Organum, the sweetest organ of the Holy Spirit. We didn't sing that antiphon, it's the one in the processionale right underneath his responsory. But that title struck me, the sweetest organ <laughs> of the Holy Ghost. And we can take that word organum, I think, in two senses. Our saint was, you might say, the bodily mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the physical spokesman of the Holy Ghost, the organ in that sense, that explains why he has the dove always nearby in his iconography. So he's the organ, he's the spokesman of the Holy Ghost, but we could also take the word organ in the musical sense, because he's, he is the cultivator of the sacred chant that is our daily bread. And after all, didn't we, didn't we begin the liturgical year by calling him the father of the race of singers? got that text posted in the sacristy I look at it every day. The trope that begins our Advent liturgy. The dulcissimum sancti spiritus organum, the sweetest organ of the Holy Spirit. St. Gregory is the doctor desideri, as Don Leclerc calls him, reminds us. The doctor of desire. The doctor, doctor of the desire of and it's in this title, I think, that St. Gregory is at his most monastic. 
his heart always longing, always desiring the quies of the cloister. Read his, every epistle of his almost filled with this. It, it might sound like murmuring on the first read, but he's not murmuring against his, his duties. He's desiring the cloister. He's weighed down by his poverty, weighed down by the poverty that's brought out of him by the, by the great weight of his office. But we shouldn't make a mistake. His desire for the cloister, as with ours, is really the desire for God. Cloister gives us God. Rest gives us God. That's why he was so desirous to return always to St. Andrews, wanting to return to his monastic state. And St. Gregory made his way to God by desire. And therefore, what grew out of that desire was compunction. Don Clark also tells us that was one of the key key marks of virtues of St. Gregory's, his compunction. And this is true. There is no step of humility that he did not tread. You can kind of superimpose the 12 degrees of humility on his life and see that you can go down and check each one off how it appears in his life. But I thought especially the 12th degree of humility was one of St. Gregory. And the Holy Father writes, let him, let the monk, constantly say in his heart what was said with downcast eyes by the publican in the gospel. Lord, I am a sinner and am not worthy to raise my eyes to heaven. And again, the prophet, I am bowed down and humble on every side. St. Gregory, humbled and bowed down on every side, is the doctor. St. Gregory is the Pontifex Egregium, the distinguished high priest, and the Apostle Eximius, the, the outstanding shepherd. And his pastoral rule proved this, of course. Also, as Father Pryor mentioned in the chapter this morning, you'll remember the often quoted words about our Holy Father Benedict, that, that he, Benedict, could not have lived other than, than how he wrote his rule. But actually, we can turn this principle of Gregory against him and say that he could not have lived other than how he wrote in his rule of pastors. How could St. Gregory have written that text, which was the standard text of priestly formation, you might say, for centuries? How could he not have lived other than how he wrote? And I mentioned this last title, because I think St. Gregory is nothing if he is but a priest. He is, from beginning to end, the priest. And I suspect that's the title he most glories in. Priest. He did all that he did as a priest, and only as a priest can. He, St. Gregory, distinguished high Note well that when we've been referring to how aptly named St. Gregory is, not how aptly named he was. I have had a professor in seminary who always said, we do Christology in the present tense. We don't talk about Christ had two natures. No, he hasn't, because he is real, he is alive. All Christology is done in the present tense. And so it is with our commemoration of the saints. We speak of them always in the present tense. 
tense because they are completely present. And so in this moment, our St. Gregory currently, right now, presides over this benedictine springtime proceedings. So I'll end with the intro actually. Simon Peter, thou lovest me, feed my lambs. St. Gregory wrote something similar in a letter to St. Leander of Seville, whom he met in Constantinople, I believe. So I repeat these words of St. Gregory to you, brothers and sisters, this morning. If you love me, assist me 